Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. We're now exclusively a part of the SEU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ken Engel, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, SEU Chief of Staff. And we are absolutely excited today to introduce our guest for today's show, Dr. Peter Kuzmich. Dr. Kuzmich is a a native of Slovenia and, and a citizen of Croatia in former Yugoslavia. He's the foremost evangelical scholar in East Eastern Europe, and and it is just an honor to have you on our program today. The honor is mine. It's good to be back to Southeastern University also. Yeah, thank you so much for making the time to be here. You you have founded a number of evangelical institutions and have won, my goodness, multiple awards involving human rights, and, and you even serve as a national leader with the United Nations. Uh, God has obviously used you to impact Croatia and Southeastern Europe a, as a whole. What inspired your mission to bring ministry to the Balkans specifically? Well, the main concern was how to bring the vision and the values of the kingdom of God to bear about on the kingdoms of this world, mm-hmm. which were in disarray. First under communism, where we had all kinds of restrictions on freedom of speech and religious liberty and so on. I was involved in a pro-democracy movement, and that gave me a national recognition and was then invited by the most uh, uh, widely circulated weekly magazine to to uh, secular magazine to do a column um, so it was a wonderful opportunity to bring as i said the values right. and the vision of the of the kingdom uh, which is uh, really reconciliation mm-hmm. love forgiveness mm. rebuilding of the social order uh, affirming family life and clean moral living and of course advancing education Right. Wow. Yeah. Now, during that time, you also co-founded, and you still currently uh, direct the Evangelical Seminary in Osijek. Yes. Osijek. Yes. yes in Croatia, and that was actually the first evangelical theological school in Eastern Europe. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. it yes. was in former Let's, Yugoslavia. Okay. Uh, the late president of Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. Marshal Tito, uh, broke relations with Stalin. Mm. Mm. And when he said "niet" to Stalin and start pulling us out of the Soviet orbit, we were gradually gaining more freedom. Yeah. Uh, for example, in the 60s, they opened the borders and we could travel and the tourists were coming in. Uh-huh. I went to study theology in Germany first and then to the United States uh, of, uh, of America. And then uh, in 1972, we were suddenly given a green light. We've been applying mm-hmm. for a number of years uh, to open the school. Wow. And we started in a basement of a small local church in Zagreb. Mm-hmm. Zagreb is the capital of Croatia and the second largest city in former Yugoslavia. So why was opening a school so important to the ministry you were trying to do in, well, in that area? Well, b- because ministers didn't have any training. Mm-hmm. And up to that point, there was no Christian literature. So people could not study on their own. And so those of us and all of the young people who were exposed to atheistic education and the so-called scientific arguments against the existence of God and so on, they needed to be equipped from mm-hmm. a Christian perspective. Uh, and so uh, our concern was not only to teach the Bible, but to help people develop a Christian worldview, mm. a kind of a system of thinking, uh, all-encompassing system of thinking that would become the basis for a Christian worldview, yep. for ethics. Yeah, yeah. it's huge. Yeah. Now, Eastern Europe uh, has such a fascinating history, especially as it comes to Christianity and the message of the gospel. How is the impact of 
communism and socialism influence the way Eastern Europeans interact with the gospel? Uh, well, as you know, wherever communists came to power, at best they only tolerated Christianity. Mm -hmm. Christianity was considered an old, outdated, superstitious, irrelevant, and even harmful way of thinking and acting. And so, at worst, Christians were brutally persecuted. In some countries, like a, a late neighboring country of Albania, where I have later been involved in planting the first evangelical churches, Albania in 1967 proudly changed their constitution and announced that they were the first totally atheistic state in the world. Mm -hmm. But we know that people are religious yeah. by nature. Right. Yes. You know, we, right. we are homo spiritualis. Right. We yeah. are, uh, there is something in us that transcends the physical and the material. Yeah. And it's that longing for transcendence, for right. eternal values, and it's basically longing for God. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the response, of course there was persecution, right. but in spite of persecution, the church not only survived, it also thrived. Mm -hmm. It grew in certain areas, we've seen that. My father was persecution, my spiritual mentor was three and a half years in, in, in prison. And I remember that from my early age, uh, the physical physical persecution. <clears throat> and then there were all kinds of other uh, restraints. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no, as I mentioned already, no Christian literature, right? no Christian training. Uh, so you didn't have educated youth workers right. who could help right. you right. resolve the questions you brought from your secular, atheistic, anti-Christian education from the school. And uh, so uh, the need for education was obvious everywhere. Mm -hmm. And since I had the privilege of receiving some education, I actually should have been an engineer. Yeah. I was offered a full scholarship <laughs> yeah. uh, for, uh, for uh, engineering, civil engineering. But then God called me to ministry. Yeah. And I knew that I needed a better education, as I said earlier, mm -hmm. developing that comprehensive worldview. Right. Yep. And so I even came to this country for some education. Yeah, it's huge. And you know, there's a lot, there's so many people right now that argue that political economic systems like capitalism, socialism, communism, they don't have anything to do with matters of faith. They try and say, okay, these are, these are political ideas, and then there's matters of faith. You don't have to blend. What's, what's your opinion about that argument? Well, what would you say to people? Well, it's very like difficult to draw a dividing line. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, we, we human beings are integral beings, yeah. and we live in community. Yep. And whatever worldview, even economic system we adopt, mm -hmm. Uh, it will have implications for yep. the way we think about other things, yeah. like marriage or family, or right. moral yep. values, uh, and, and so on. Uh, we've seen that uh, in, in, in our countries. Now, when it comes to Marxism, Marxism is an all-encompassing worldview. It, almost, it acted almost like a secular religion. Yeah. Uh, with yeah. its uh, anthropology mm -hmm. uh, uh, that was totally based on the philosophy of dialectical materialism. Right. That is a um, materialistic philosophy that says, to simplify it, there is no soul, uh, right. no spirit, no life after death, nothing beyond the grave, mm -hmm. and so on. Yeah. Uh, so it was really a collision between Christian faith believing in God 
and living according to scriptural principles, mm, right. and an atheistic, actually anti-theistic worldview that tried to eliminate religion. Well, now we see, after so many years, yeah. that Marxism is dead, right. but yeah. the Church of Jesus Christ is alive, alive and right. flourishing and growing, yeah. and especially many young people coming to the Lord. Yeah. Love to hear. And you've worked so long in, in, in Europe and... and, and what, what talk to me about what you see in the United States now and and where we are headed in some of these ideas that were so prevalent in in Europe for for quite some time yeah well I am afraid that the United States where the highest percentage of the population practiced religion mm -hmm. I remember maybe it was a wrong place when I came to Wheaton uh, uh, you got the impression that more than half of the population went to church right, on right. Sunday morning. Right. I know that those numbers are uh, declining. Right. And that European type of social uh, secularization is uh, taking place in the United right. States as well. You know, in, in Western Europe, Sunday was not a worship day. Mm -hmm. Germany, where I studied for several years, Sunday was just a welcome break between two working weeks. Mm. I'm concerned about where the United States is right. going. And if mm -hmm. you really analyze it, which you cannot do in a short mm -hmm. conversation right. like this, but uh, to, uh, to, uh, I would say that uh, a combination of materialism right. and extreme individualism mm -hmm. is toxic. Yeah. Yes. And that is where the uh, animosity or antagonism to mm -hmm. Christian faith comes to. So it's very yeah. important to have vibrant, co vibrant mm -hmm. congregation and to have Christian universities right. Right. where the truth is taught and practiced mm -hmm. and right. where there are joyful communities mm -hmm. uh, that by their very existence yeah. Uh, provide evidence that there is a living reality yeah. whom we call God. Absolutely. And you know, it's it's crazy because for so many leaders and in, in, in our sphere, it's it's very fashionable to be pro some of these ideologies, pro secularism. And even if you're a person of faith, there's so much pressure to not push out. What kind of advice would you give to leaders right now who are looking at this pressure, looking at this and, and wondering, man, how do I live out my faith in the face of this changing kind of ideology? Yeah, well, I am not sure that the culture war is the right response. Right. Mm. Because it even rips society further apart. Mm and 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 uh, drives a wedge that is very difficult then to pull out or to overcome that that kind of division i would say uh, integral joyful christian living, living. Right. that's always the yeah. strongest testimony yeah. for the reality of uh, reality of our faith yeah yeah, joyful, uh, joyful life, and of course the way you love people. I mean, that's that speaks to to who you are in Christ. Uh, exactly, so, exactly. Yeah, people so, have to see exactly yep. before they hear right. and understand. Right. Because Christian uh, evangelism does not. Uh, take place by proclamation alone, but right. by living. It's not just a question of what shall they hear, right. because people have much more than just ears mm -hmm. to hear what we say, or just souls mm -hmm. that we say save uh, uh, for heaven. So we have to look at people in totality of their existence, including physical and psychological and social uh, existence and their context, and understand them and love them. Love is still the most powerful weapon Christianity yeah, absolutely. has. Absolutely. Dr. Kuzmich, you've served 
served as an advisor on reconciliation for national leaders in the Balkans, the United Nations, and the U.S. State Department. Can you share with us a little bit about uh, your work as, as an advisor? What are some global challenges maybe that you have been working on, and how were you able to find peaceful resolutions that were sustainable? Well, that's a good question. We do live in a violent world. I myself have lived through five wars. Mm. Uh, there was, one of them was short, only right. about 10 days in right. my native Slovenia, but one of them was about five years. Right. And I've just come out of Bosnia a week ago, where we have a lot of turmoil again. And then especially in the smallest country that came out of former Yugoslavia, in Montenegro. Right. Uh, but the European integrations, the U.S.-NATO presence uh, helps us. Now, uh, because I've been writing about reconciliation and human rights, I got then involved. I traveled as an advisor with Senator Dole, mm-hmm. Bob, Robert Dole, right, right. Uh, and uh, his wife, when she, before she was a senator, she was the president of the American Red Cross, Cross and the right. Red Cross was mm-hmm. helping us yeah. as we were uh, dealing with uh, literally hundreds of thousands of refugees due to the inter-ethnic warfare. And I, I've traveled even with the, at that time, much younger Senator Biden, Joseph Biden, uh-huh who was uh, chairing a subcommittee on Southeastern Europe. Hmm. And so he was looking for people who had some expertise and experience, and of course spoke English, that always happens. Yeah. Uh, So it was in that capacity, I being called to State Department and by different uh, UN representatives and agencies, I spoke at the uh, uh, round table uh, in conjunction with with the year 2000, where the emphasis again was reconciliation and whether there is any hope for our mm-hmm. broken world. Now, we Christians know that the only hope is really Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ right. but, and, but it's very difficult to show that uh, convincingly, credibly, to people who don't believe, who've never read the Bible. Right. So you have to look for the uh, general universal truth mm-hmm. right. of a well-being, of the future of humanity, uh, what I call creation ethics, rather than just uh, redemptive covenant right. ethics. Yeah. Right. And of course, there, is, there, are, there are universal human values that all humans mm-hmm. uh, share. And so you appeal to those, and then you build pockets uh, amidst uh, uh, areas of, uh, of uh, violence and animosity, you build pockets of peaceful resistance, mm-hmm. especially with young people right. who become ambassadors of mm-hmm. peace and, and who are then spreading that news and trying to replace uh, uh, despair with hope and, and hatred, of course, uh, with love. Mm-hmm. So we've been working on that for a number of years, and yeah. occasionally we are called upon to help even in some other areas, like mm-hmm. when the conflicts broke out in Syria. Yeah. Uh, I have been invited to a couple of events to speak about our own experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a challenge. Uh, it's very difficult to generalize because situation differs. Some, in some places, the wars are over territory. In some places, they are ideological. Mm-hmm. Right. In some places, they are religiously inspired. Uh, And today you have a mix of uh, uh, religious fanaticism and extreme nationalism. Mm -hmm. And when those two come together, you have ethnic and religious cleansing, and you have innocent people who suffer. And so it's very important 
that we come in uh, uh, with the message of hope and reconciliation. And how do you come in? I mean, these are people that have for whatever reason, really deep wounds. I mean, even even multi-generational wounds where where the the hate and kind of the the animosity towards each other goes back so far. It's so embedded into their national identity. How do you what are the keys to bring reconciliation to people like that? How do you start working that into people that just don't know any different? Uh, you know, there, there, there are studies today that say that the mission of the 21st century uh, will be a mission of reconciliation. Mm. Yeah. Um, we have started programs in teaching forgiveness. Yeah. That is, even for secular people, the role of forgiveness in politics is the subtitle of a book called the Ethics for Enemies, mm. written by former president of Union Seminary in in New York. Uh, so we have prepared counselors, uh, even counselors who work uh, with, uh, with uh, uh, therapy for children who have been traumatized in the yeah. war as victims of ethnic cleansing. So there are various ways. And it's very important that local congregations, pa uh, led by their pastors, are at least aware. Right. Uh, of, of that need. And then they invite you to teach and help them. Mm -hmm. And usually you will find a few people mm -hmm. who are committed, who are enthusiasts uh, to, to work on behalf of truth and reconciliation. So it differs from situation to situation. Yeah. Some areas, of course, you're invited in as an expert. Mm -hmm. And that is different than situations we had in Bosnia, for example, and in Kosovo, where we had to take initiative. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. But of course, our experience has been, I've, my, I've been there have been threats on my life, because once you stretch out your hand, right. your arms, to both sides and try to bring them together, you find out fanatics on both sides right. become your enemies. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you're also um, uh, an honorary member of the Croatian Helsinki Committee for Human Rights and, and Religious Liberty. Tell us a little bit about your work promoting interreligious dialogue with other organizations. How can how can people of different faiths uh, and, and and dialogues work together? And why is it important for Christians to engage with people of other faiths? Uh, well, we you help them discover common humanity. Mm. You see, we are called, on the one hand, to evangelize the world. Right. Because people apart from Christ are lost. We know that. But on the other hand, we are also called to humanize the world, to bring and human values, are right. divine human rights, are right. divinely given rights. So you have to affirm them and, and promote them and, wherever possible, defend them. Uh, it's important. It's, it's, it really is making people, first of all, aware of who they are why they are in the predicament they are in, and what's the way out. Hmm. And then if they show goodwill, you can help them uh, move from, 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 from enmity hmm. uh, to amity, hmm. you know, from hatred to love. To love. Hmm. And that brings a lot of joy to those of us who are involved in that. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so powerful. And, wow. you know, you do a lot of work uh, right now, uh, as you founded and you're currently the editor of Izavori. Is that, did I say that right? Izavori? 
Isvari. Isvari. Yes, Isvari. It means sources. Yes, sources. Yes, sir. Isvari, the Christian uh, monthly journal that's yes. specifically in the Croatian language. Tell us a little bit about how important that work is and why should Christians <laughs> engage with these kind of mediums like journals and written publications and even social media? Well, we cannot reach everyone personally. Right. But printed page yeah. or a radio message, or I often give interviews on, on national TV, that goes where we are not able physically to go. Right. Right. It's very important that, write, that we write not just for Christians and that we don't just, don't just preach to people from our pulpits. That kind of, uh, not that message, but that kind of language is not being understood. Sometimes it's misunderstood by, pe by people who are outside uh, the Christian fold. So it's important to forward the Christian message to uh, various, uh, uh, various uh, population with various education, various convictions, if they have convictions when it comes to religion. And you have to forward the message in, in a way that is understandable to them. Mm -hmm. You have to translate it for them. And you, know, and you have to forward it again and again because uh, uh, people are moving on right, the people right. are changing their right. modern mm -hmm. people are changing their address yep. more often uh, than any other generation right it's an ongoing task yep yeah, you have to yeah. keep it up well we we have thoroughly enjoyed having you on, on this show and fascinating conversation and just so grateful for your calling and your work and your influence literally around the world. Uh, we always like to close our conversation out. We call it a fire round. And uh, we, we asked just a few quick questions kind of surrounding everything we've we've talked about a little bit. And, and we just want to grab a few practical and applicable pieces of advice for um, our listeners. Um, and so uh, we have three questions. So I'll let Michael begin with the first one. All right. So first one, how, how do you have healthy dialogue in an organization without when there's tension involved? How do you, how do you start that process? Well, uh, you don't pour oil on the fire. <laughs> yes. No. Uh, come in and try to bring certain type of relaxation mm -hmm. in the situation. Okay. Yeah. So uh, sometimes humor helps. Yes. Right. Uh, sometimes you have to start not with a theory, but with a mm -hmm. story, a yep. story they will identify mm -hmm. with. And so uh, one follow-up question on that. I always heard that, that humor is better in Eastern European language than it is in English. Is that true? Would you, would I, you agree with I that? I don't know. I haven't noticed it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> humor works. I, just, I was listening to a podcast. I don't even remember his name. He was Russian, and he said, I wish I could tell this joke in Russian. It would land so much better, well, and you guys just don't know, get it. In your own language, I was telling in my <laughs> lecture this morning as I was apologizing for mispronouncing some words. Yes. I was in my mid-20s when I started learning English, yeah. and, and there is a scientific theory that says if you learn the language before the age of puberty, you will speak it without the accent. If you learn it after that, you have no chance. You have no so chance. people say, if they hear me speak, they've read something that I, and I write better than I, mm -hmm. than I speak. And then, then they disappoint, they say, oh, English is your second language. And I have to disappoint them. This is not an exaggeration. English was actually my seventh language. There wow. you go. But yeah. uh, I, it took me a long time to discover that English was the language of uh, globalization. Yeah. But of course, that, what that Russian meant was yeah. that in my mother tongue, right. I can express myself with more nuance, more right, clearly, right. Yes. and the humor is more lively. Perfect. Yeah, that's, yep. good. that's good. How, how can believers effectively promote the gospel through secular outlets and social media? What's the best way to do that? Uh, depending what, uh, you know, pe different people have different gifts. Uh, 
I would encourage young people who have gift for writing. Okay. Maybe start with the letters to the editor. Mm -hmm. And if that editor publishes your letter, that means that you are readable. Yeah. And then maybe do a little reflection mm -hmm. or a little report on certain events. And this is what happened in my case. You may be offered in an article a week. Yeah. I was asked by a journalist when the democracy came, I had a phone call and another journalist, well-known editor of a newspaper, uh, called me up and, and said, we would like to give you 10 weekends to write on 10 commandments. Now, I knew he was a communist leader. Yeah. And I said, I thought you guys threw this out yeah. as an outdated uh, uh, morality. And said, well, that was our mistake. <laughs> we tried wow. to put a roof on the house, but we forgot about the foundations. Wow. Yeah. And these things are foundational. Mm -hmm. But he asked me to do this writing because he heard me refer to Ten Commandments in a radio interview. There it is, yep. So uh, speak publicly wherever you can. Yeah. Make friends. Yeah. Sometimes the problem is that we live in our little isolated Christian clubs and we don't have Christian friends, uh, non-Christian friends. Having non-Christian friends does not mean that you will compromise your faith. Right. It actually means that you will widen your mission field. Right, yeah. exactly. It's yeah. huge. No, that's so good. That's perfect. So last question. A lot of students are uh, listening to this, this podcast. What advice would you give to them if they're trying to just discover what's the next step for them, that they want to, they feel like they're stuck and they don't know what's next for their lives? Well, I would say, uh, first, be an excellent student. Yeah. Work hard. Yeah. Uh, the, the harder you work, the better grades you get, the more uh, knowledge you accumulate, the more opportunity will come your way. And then be open to the Spirit of God. Be creative. Mm. Don't get stuck on a one-track uh, road. And be uh, willing to hear uh, what the Lord is saying to you when you're a student through your professors or yeah. through your textbooks or through your friends, mm -hmm. through your relatives. Right. Right. Follow, follow. I would say also secular media. I'm surprised how many people here don't watch the news. Right. I, I'm a news junkie. Yeah. Yeah. I watch all the news, yeah. and and so that you can speak to the situation with relevance. Right. Love yeah. It. So that's so good. Well, Dr. Kuzmich, I want to thank you for joining us today on Framework Leadership Podcast. Grateful for the insight you have provided those that are listening today, and just grateful again for your voice, a a strong voice that God has raised up to be a voice of reconciliation, and that is so needed in, in, in our world today, and so grateful that uh, you are the ambassador of reconciliation, and thank you for being on our show today. Thank you for inviting me. We love having you today. And if you're watching us on YouTube right now, now would be a great time to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button so you can get great leadership content right into your feed. If you want more content, check us out on Instagram, Kent underscore Ingle, or at Twitter at Kent Ingle. You can also go to our website, kentingle.com. Sign up for our weekly email newsletter. Great advice, great resources to take your leadership to the next level. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Take care, everybody. 